Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chinookie. We acknowledge the Satuna, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Oh, right on. Well, welcome, Elijah. I am excited and stoked to hear your story. So you can take it off from wherever you like. Okay. Um, gather my thoughts. Yes, please, myself. of course. Yeah. Um, and this, you can edit this, yeah, but yeah. For sure. um, but we won't edit it unless you want something edited out. Well, this part, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. absolutely. It's not 12-step specific, though. It's just... Nope. We've had all kinds of people come through on different programs, right? Yeah. Like, we've had people who are atheists, smart recovery, or who don't even do, like, 12-step at all, and they just do... Yeah, CBT. Yeah. yeah, DBT, all kinds of stuff. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I listen to some of the podcasts. Oh, okay, I know a lot on. of people you've had on here, but... Um, well, thanks for listening. Yes, yes. Okay, so I'm trying to decide what part of my what, mm-hmm. what part of my story is relevant to this context. But. So while you're thinking, mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's pretty telling that you wore the tank top you wore, because my dad used to wear the Maui and Sun stuff. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> so we were just talking about my dad, our dads, before you came in, because oh. he lost his dad, long, 15 years, 15 years ago, and oh. and mine just in March. So yeah, yeah, it's been, he's been a huge support to me. Yeah. yeah. My I lost my dad in March of did, 2020. So. Did you? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. So, That's hard. Late. Yeah, yeah, no doubt you can. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. a heavy weight, too. Yes. I don't think it gets easier. I just think it gets different. Yeah. That's just what Darcy was telling me. <laughs> I don't know. I've had a lot of people die in my life. It yeah. Doesn't really, it doesn't get easier. But no, no, I don't really want it to, either. I more just wanted to get different. Mm-hmm. Some of the moments are a little... Yeah. Undesirable. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it gets different. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting how, like, even though, because like yourself, we've lost lots of friends since being sober and, mm-hmm. and from the beginning of time, and um, but nothing like this, right? Like, there's nothing with the power that I've not felt this kind of power, even when I sobered up. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I didn't feel this kind of, like, weight, you know? It's a new, like, I like how you put that. It's just different, right? Yeah, like, it, yeah. it really is different. It's challenging me, and I don't mind being challenged, but it does suck too at times. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's a real it's that, son of a bitch. That deeper surrender, mm-hmm. just yeah, just getting sober was 
not like this. I thought getting sober was hard. This is different. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. I feel like this is a good spot. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. So, yeah. I'm Elijah uh, Ermine Neal, and I'm from Sturgeon Lake First Nation in Saskatchewan, Treaty 6. Um, I'm also Métis and Scottish and French on my mother's side. She's from southern Alberta hmm. and traced back to Red River area. Um, and I was born and raised in Mokinsis, Treaty 7. I still live here. And very grateful and honored to live here with my family, my brothers, my sisters, um, my mom, stepdad, those. I have a lot of family here now still, so that I appreciate being close to them. And I have visited my reserve and met my family. My dad was uh, part of the 60s scoop, and so I didn't meet most of my family on that side until I was older and in the last few years. So that's been really beautiful to be able to have those connections mm -hmm. as well, to visit and connect to and know different parts of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Did it feel like all parts of you were kind of coming together? Yeah, 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 exactly. I remember the first time I met some cousins at Sturgeon Lake and there's a photo of one of us and I, I just remember being like, oh, here's the people that look like me and mm. oh, here's the people that laugh at my jokes like they, mm. they have the same sense of humor, you know? So that was really, yeah, really welcoming and... Powerful stuff. Yeah, it felt good. Mm. So I'm grateful for those experiences, that sense of belonging, right? Mm. Which seems to be the, the carrot that I continue to seek as mm. I recover and grow up and live life. So, yeah, I live in recovery and I use 12-step programs. I use therapy. I use ceremony. I use all sorts of different things mm -hmm. to live a life that is substance-free, no drinking and drugs and other behavioral addictions. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah, I got sober when I was young and didn't, didn't really plan on that. Okay. But, uh, how did it come about? Like cause when people are young, usually there's a huge event of some kind. Right. Yeah. Or maybe um, several. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, like as a teenager, I definitely abused substances, drank, mm -hmm. used, but I, I think my, and I even now to this day, I think my like first love, if you're going to talk about an addiction, kind of that sense of, oh, this works, I've mm -hmm. arrived. Like, I remember it was self-injury, it was cutting. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I cut and I was like, and this is, this is it. Like mm -hmm. it just, and all through the years of using and drinking and things like that's the one that I think has been the hardest to let go of mm -hmm. and to surrender to and. Yeah, I think I I had inklings in my teen years of, oh, I'm a drug addict. Okay, well, maybe I shouldn't drink. Like, I kind of, mm. like, tried to control the things. But I grew up, my dad was in active addiction for a lot of my life, and my siblings were in active addiction, and 
there's lots of mental health and struggles in my family. And so I had that ego to control my mm. drugs and alcohol. So I wasn't like them. As long as I didn't use those mm. kinds of drugs and I didn't use those in those ways and do those things with those people, you know, I had this... Tricky I, little ego. Yeah. And, well, I'm the oldest of a very mm. large family. My parents had seven kids and then my stepdad... Um, has three kids, and so I'm the oldest of ten. Wow. And the seven that from my mom and dad, I just, I remember having that sense of protector and caretaker and mm. better than <laughs> and <laughs> had to be the good example, that double life, you know. Mm -hmm. like I just have to be the good older sibling, but then here I am, like, in secret, but not so secret, just mm -hmm. depressed and suicidal and miserable. So, yeah, I went through my adolescence. I had some serious um, experiences. Uh, I had a big overdose, ended up in the psych ward for a long time. And uh, I and I didn't court, like, I didn't, put them together is that was because I was an addict. Mm. It was because of trauma, it was because of depression, it was because of um, mm -hmm. a cutter, or suicidal. Or, um, it's all symptomatic, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. And when I was 20 years old, I was at the point where I was, my friends wouldn't really drink with me anymore because I was, I was no fun at the parties. I ruined the parties. I fought with everybody and got too drunk too fast, you know, like yeah. one friend that couldn't handle it. So my friends started making rules for me as I was drinking. Well, Elijah can't drink at the bar. Okay, Elijah can't drink at house parties. Okay, Elijah can only drink with three people in the room. Like, it's insane. Okay, Elijah, go drink in the park by yourself. Like, Okay, now Elijah can't drink at all. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> And like just those controlling things. But I also, I think I justified my drug use because it was, well, these are prescription drugs. These are the, um, the doctor says I need them, mm -hmm. right? And no, I don't need that much Ativan and whatever else. Mm -hmm. And drinking with your meds is not recommended. Highly not recommended. No, no. <laughs> it makes the alcohol work differently. Well, and that's why we did it, right? Yes, because exactly. It gave us an extra oomph. Yeah. But I just had this sense of, well, I'm in my room. I'm not out there on the streets. Mm. I'm sleeping 16 hours a day because I'm depressed and whatever else I thought was wrong with me. Mm. And just drinking sporadically, like mm -hmm. binge drinking and mostly just using PRN prescriptions <laughs> all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and in and out of the emergency rooms and the psych wards and just just chaos, like unmanageability. Mm. Uh, it's but, pretty amazing we can survive that, just that part of it, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and so when I, like, I kind of jumping around a little bit, but... That's okay. Um, so when I was born, my dad was in AA recovery, 12-step recovery. My uncle was in 12-step recovery. My mom was in... 12-step um, recovery for family. And so I was kind of born into the 12-step rooms, right? Um, their friends were 12-steps, 12-step friends, and they 
was in the 90s and they did all the um, picking people up and taking mm -hmm. them to meetings and having, like they did that life, you know? Mm -hmm. And when I was, right before I was three years old, my uncle, who was very significant adult in my life and my dad's um, brother that he was adopted with, um, my uncle completed suicide mm -hmm. and it was kind of from there, as uh, as I've gotten older, discussions with my family and such, be like, well, that's kind of like the he never recovered. My dad never recovered from that loss, and a couple other significant events happened around that time, and it was about two. It took about eighteen months, two years before he mm -hmm. relapsed. So he got eleven years of recovery and sobriety, continuous sobriety, before he relapsed, and then he spent the next twenty some years. In and well, he spent the next like 12 years in and out of the mm. rooms and um, trying off and on to get sober and getting time here and there. But I think by the maybe it wasn't even 12 years, but after many years of trying to get sober again, it was I'm just gonna use. Mm. Uh, my dad was one of those people is like, if I relapse, I'll die, and then it was like, well, I'll die soon, and it was like it's kind of a morbid not like a morbid joke, like, mm -hmm. ha-ha, but it was kind of like, he, he just didn't die. Mm -hmm. He kept telling everybody he was dying, and it was 20-some years later before he died. Wow. And so that that experience of recovery and of my dad's using and my siblings and their using and just all the things that happened in, as a child and whatever, um, I saw bits and pieces of recovery and sobriety, mm -hmm. but then I saw a lot of wreckage from mm -hmm. addiction, active alcoholism. And it wasn't until, yeah, I was around 20 years old that my sister actually was really struggling with um, hard, hard drugs and just a lot of addiction. And so, and, and my, I think it was, I don't remember how my mom worded it, but she ended up putting my sister in a treatment center because, as a last-ditch effort of, like, mm -hmm. my sister's a little 15-year-old native girl, like, mm -hmm. on the streets. Like, there's not a lot of positive outcomes for that kind of lifestyle, right? Nope. And so in a series of events, I was the good older sibling. So we got her to treatment, and about three months of her being in treatment and me being a family member witnessing other young people get sober and these like 18, 19, 20 year old kids like sober and not suicidal and just having fun and doing things. And I, I was kind of getting curious and I was hanging out with them at like certain events and family things and whatnot. And the ones that had graduated, they were around, you know. Mm -hmm. And So anyway, three months in I got curious and my sister started to look less like miserable as well. <laughs> I was like, okay, what's happening here? Mm. You're, I brought you here and you're getting better and I'm getting more awful. So mm. what's happening? Anyway, I met with one of the counselors at the treatment center and asked a couple questions and long story short, she was like, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I'll go get you one. So she walks down the hall and grabs one of the other like staff there. We're always kicking around. <laughs> yeah. So she grabs one of the person comes in and actually it this was put together after I but that person that came in and answered my questions and talked to me and I from that conversation 
one alcoholic to another, I said, okay, I'm going to try it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I need a sponsor and I'll do, I'll try this. Because um, I can't really stop the self-harm and the, the suicidal, mm -hmm. suicidal ideation, but um, I know that's an addiction for me. I didn't really know about the alcohol and the drugs, but I knew that I could not stop cutting. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't working anymore, you know. Um, so yeah, I asked her a couple questions. I said, fine, I'll try it. She told me to call this person and they'll take me to a meeting. So then that's what happened. And and now looking back, we put it together. But that person that talked to me actually was like 16. And my uncle who passed away worked with her and helped her get sober. And so now she's 20 years sober and helping me get mm. sober. So it was a really powerful moment. Oof, of she's like, got goosebumps. That's yeah, really like, and she's still sober. And like, I, I saw her a few, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. I was like, because she had taken 30 years by this mm -hmm. point. I was like, you've taken 30 years. That means I've aged. That means I'm getting older too. Because <laughs> like, what happened? And so we had a laugh about it. And yeah, no doubt. You yeah. opened your eyes and we're all older. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's cool to be able to talk to her and have that that's bond cool. over like, because she remembers my uncle. He helped her get sober. Yeah. Right? So that's powerful. That's what happens though. Yeah. Powerful yeah. shit happens sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I feel, especially in the last six months, um, that my, since my dad has passed away, he passed mm -hmm. away in 2020, but um, from his addiction, but seeing my uncle and his his death and relapses and seeing my dad and his death and relapses and the destruction, the wreckage that came from that, I also, when I was taking a recovery milestone in April, this past April, I felt that sense of, yes, there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of trauma, there was a lot of suffering, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody but they have been taking care of me in their own limited capacity this whole mm -hmm. time. And there's pieces in my life that I look back and yes, my uncle died. He couldn't like break that, that suicidality in mm -hmm. him and, um, and died that way. But I, there's, I just look back on my life and there's moments where I'm like, he had, he was there mm -hmm. it's like in spirit, you know, just like, guiding me and so I look at I took my milestone in April and I was like you know all to say like there my dad's 11 years of sobriety wasn't wasted because I knew where to go when I was done mm -hmm. and I knew where to go when I knew something could help me you know yeah. and like with my uncle like I just I don't I, I, I have a lot less resentment and hate mm -hmm. and confusion or just like mm -hmm. hurt about it um has it helped you with your own like life kind of put it in perspective that there are no real mistakes like yeah kind of like yeah. and i and i they seem like mistakes because they're painful right yeah and i struggle when people are like oh everything happens for a reason i'm like well i could have been a good person without that thing like mm -hmm. you know yeah, i don't need course. that to happen but I do. Well, I'm definitely not saying that everything happens for some well, mystic reason. No, That's, and I agree. Yeah. Like I, I can look back and I say, okay, yes, this person died, but like I'm not gonna let it be for waste, like mm. wasted. And I've had a lot of people in my life pass away from addiction, and I, 
yes, have the hurt and the loss and the grief, and it comes and it goes and ebbs and flows and all that stuff, but I have had to... I found meaning in those stories, mm. which allows me to like honor their lives, the the good parts and the hard mm. parts, right? So, which is really all we can do for those people, eh? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. How we show how much we love them. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So, I talked to that. Going back to the, I talked to that person and. She sent me to a meeting, and I got a sponsor, and I mm. drank one more time. It was a, it, it really irked me, my last drink for years. Yeah. Like I, it was right, I, so I got sober six weeks before my 21st birthday. My last drink was two twisted teas on a patio in an April afternoon. And I remember just feeling like that was the, like, just softest, worst way to like quit drinking. I was like, man, I didn't even get to go out with a bang and like, <laughs> get loaded one more time. It was just that. You didn't even get arrested the last time. No, like nothing happened. And what so, kind of an alcoholic <laughs> is that? It, I did. I felt like this really, and I'm hanging I love out with it. all these like kids that are yeah. 20 years old, 21 years old, and they're like, yeah, we're sober. And because they're like doing these intense drugs and street drugs and like having all these crazy ass experiences. And then I'm like, oh, well, I think I'm an alcoholic, but uh, I stopped it too the last time. And it was a hard reservation for me to close mm -hmm. or like to let go of for mm -hmm. the first few years of recovery. Cause I just, I held on to that. Mm -hmm. I controlled it that last time, but I remember those two drinks and how horrendous I felt because I had to stop mm. and I didn't want to stop and the things I wanted to do were I would start every time I drank I was starting to like um be open to drugs I hadn't done before mm. or things I hadn't done before mm. and that last that last drink I was obsessing about drugs I hadn't done before while I'm drinking these two stupid drinks with this person trying to act all normal and have a good time. And I'm just, it, it the, the mind, the mind fuckery of it mm -hmm. was enough to, to scare me and to be like, okay, there's something wrong here. Mm -hmm. uh, so I didn't need to go out with the big, Thing. That's fantastic because you were able to see the conundrum for what it was. And, and I'm very grateful that I mm -hmm. was now, but I remember six weeks later being six weeks sober at my 21st birthday, sitting in a room full of older than me people mm -hmm. <laughs> that were sober telling me, you're so lucky you're getting sober young. And, and I just looked at them like, you've got to be kidding me. Like you guys got 10, 15 years of partying and, and now, being around a little bit, I know that that's not what the mm -hmm. next ten years of drinking would have been. It wouldn't mm -hmm. been. It wouldn't have been a party. It wasn't a party anymore. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't going to become one at any time. It never was. Like so. And that's the persistent lie we tell ourselves: mm -hmm. eh? is that it will be fun again. Yeah, right? one day somehow. My last year was not fun. Yeah. No. Intermittent, not painful, but that doesn't mean it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. And yeah. I remember those moments of normalcy. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, 
I think if I, if you ask me to think of the last ten times I drank, I think that was the only time I wasn't drunk. Was my last drink. Mm -hmm. Every other drink I was drunk and fighting. So mm -hmm. like, I can look at those things and I mm -hmm. can see that. Yes, I am an alcoholic. But yeah, I came into the program. I got a sponsor. Twelve step rooms. I have used mental health support, psychiatry, therapy. Like I do all the things and. Mm -hmm. I find that I can't do one. They all help each other. Like if I'm only mm -hmm. doing 12-step recovery, it's just not quite, I'm missing a piece. And if I'm it's only going enough. to ceremony and mm -hmm. not treating my alcoholism, I just don't quite hit the mark, you mm -hmm. know? I'm just a little bit too disconnected. And, and I don't know it as it's happening. For but sure. as I see them all come together and work together I'm like oh so this is what they're talking about mm -hmm. when they talk about like freedom and my philosophy is more is better if you can get more support get it yeah yeah well I always Just wanted like more did. to drink well yeah, now exactly. I get more, <laughs> exactly. more to level up yeah. and, and connect that's right. to my god wow that's pretty cool so I never stopped at drinking back in those days so like why would I stop with just one thing now right? yeah, yeah exactly exactly so yeah I got sober right before my 21st birthday how long have you been sober now? I just took nine years. Oh, congrats. Yeah, just took nine years and just turned 30, so here I am. Happy birthday and congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I made it. It was a big deal. It I is a big deal. I had several friends the last few years just that had already entered their 30s. Mm -hmm. It's okay, Elijah. It's going to get better. I promise you. just got to make it to your 30s. You just mm -hmm. got to make the 20s. The 20s are kicking your ass. I promise it's going to get better. Yeah. So when I hit my 30th birthday... Several of these friends like, remember this, and mm -hmm. I was like, "Guys, I made it." They're like, "Yeah, you did. Thank God." <laughs> <laughs> so that was, yeah, it's been. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, that's gift amazing. To, yeah, to go through my 20s sober. I'm I'm always impressed. There's folks that sobered up so early. I, right. Yeah. Some of my closest friends are like they were uh, art kids, mm. right? Yeah. And they're just to me they're impressive because I remember what I was doing. And you couldn't have got me anywhere near these fucking rooms. Like, no. yeah, I'd just as soon set your house on fire like, <laughs> and go to an AA meeting at, at 19, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I was not planned, but I, I, I kept coming back because I knew that drinking wasn't helping. Mm -hmm. And I had a sponsor that was around my age, and she said, well, do you have a desire not to get drunk today, not to drink today? And I was like, yeah. I can't drink today because then I just get suicidal and mm -hmm. cutting. That's my that's my drug of choice, right? Mm -hmm. And so she worked with that. Yeah. And I hear people say like, you have to have step one. You have to know like hit your bottom and hundred percent before this will work. And for me, that wasn't true. Yeah, I don't. Think I spent true. the first two years of my recovery every morning. All right. To my, to my higher power, my creator, my God. All right, God, show me I'm an alcoholic today and then help me stay sober. And I go to sleep. Thank you for showing me I'm an alcoholic today and keeping me sober. Mm -hmm. And I just did that every day for like the first two years because I was not sure. Mm -hmm. But I just continued on. I was, I was convinced enough that my life was unmanageable. And I was convinced enough that I was powerless over everything but alcohol. <laughs> so I just, they worked with, and thank God that these people that came before me worked with that. Mm -hmm. And they were willing to just 
hear my questions and mm -hmm. hear my struggle and hear my arguments and talk through that with me because if somebody said like, well, you're not sick enough to be here, I don't think I would have made it. Like I would be mm -hmm. dead. And when I got sober, the I didn't like sober up and everything was happy and great. Like, and it's really interesting. The first seven years of my recovery, I got all these things that I thought I wanted. And they say, like, if you get sober, make a list of all the things you want to do when you grow up and you'll shortchange yourself kind of thing. And I did. Like, I in those seven years, I got an education. I got a bunch of degrees. I got, I was able to work and I was... I got the long-term relationship and I got the house and I got the like the financial security and I had the motorhome and the two cats. I had the whole, like mm -hmm. I got the life that I thought I was working towards and mm -hmm. that they promised. But I really struggled with suicidality my entire first bit of recovery. And I was in and out of the psych ward even sober. Um, that's a different kind of uh, bottoming, humbling of like I'm showing up at the psych ward and being admitted and it's not because I can't stop drinking, I can't stop using, it's because I don't want to be alive. Mm -hmm. And since then, and listening to a lot of people with long-term sobriety and whatever ways they have it, I've heard the line over and over again, I have a sober problem mm -hmm. on my own. Being sober is terrible. Mm -hmm. Drinking is my solution. Like you hear it all the time in the recovery world. Like, and that makes so much more sense to me now than it did ever before. Mm -hmm. But it's true. I, I have a sober problem. And if you don't give me something to manage being sober, I'm going to kill myself. Mm -hmm. And so alcohol and drugs keep me from killing myself. Cutting keeps me from killing myself. Mm -hmm. But eventually I crossed that line and now it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But I can't remember, I can't recognize that it doesn't work. So I just continue to try mm -hmm. to make it work again because I'm going to die, you know? And so to be sober and in the program and still going to the psych ward, su suicidal and um, I, I just, I, I remember that like, five, six years of Mark, just talking to people and being like, I've done everything I'm told to do. I don't know what the hell is wrong with me. Like, what am I missing? And they did. They just said, keep coming back, Elijah. Like, mm -hmm. just keep coming back. Keep being honest. Keep. And I was so frustrated. Anyway, through a series of events, um, I was offered, well, I wasn't offered, but some other, like, alternative um therapy options came up that um, aren't very popular in 12-step rooms and um, that's okay and, yeah and <laughs> well and I remember there was this there was this weird jumping off point of I if I don't do something different I'm going to kill myself hmm. and if I do this like using this different way of recovery, it might work and it might not. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and I didn't I didn't know, but I, I was scared. Uh, I did all this research. I talked to a bunch of therapists that um, um, worked with addictions and mm-hmm. also worked with like uh, psychedelic therapy mm-hmm. and. I talked to other people in the 12-step rooms and I talked to people outside of the 12-step rooms mm-hmm. that had experience with mental health and I talked to my doctors and I just went all over it because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what else to do. And so through a series of events, I was able to um, go through um, using psychedelic... Um, for therapy. Th- for therapy, really. Yeah. Well, they call it psychedelic assisted therapy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, I think it's amazing. It's it saved my life. It did. It mm-hmm. gave me whatever block was there mm-hmm. to just kind of like I was I was doing all these things and there was just a little piece that was not quite mm-hmm. lining up, you know. I couldn't quite unlock. And I found a 12-step program that was uh, used what was called psychedelics in recovery mm-hmm. and that was really helpful and speaking to other people with long-term sobriety that mm-hmm. were using these things and so yeah I just went on with my journey and through the use of psychedelics and I was still using 12-step um well, you can use both. Well, yeah, no, and I was. I was using, <laughs> yeah. like, I was using all of it at mm-hmm. the time. Uh, and it started to work. The suicidality mm-hmm. left it for the first time in my entire life. Like, wow. I am, like, what a relief. I have been suicidal for like 20 years. Like, I, I didn't I can't know what remember it, a time. Not no, being. I don't know what yeah. it's like to not be suicidal. Yeah. So, it kind of was, it was a weird thing. It was wow, like, that was powerful a, shit. So, that was a trip. <laughs> not tripping, you know. Right? A trip in itself. Yeah. And so, it started to work and I started to get these clarity, like moments of clarity in this Mm -hmm. like, yeah, just this thing started to shift. Uh, At around maybe, I can't remember the timing, but between like using psychedelics and having that effective for my suicidality and coming to a point where I can have like a regular, schedule of like mm-hmm. therapeutic uses and how that works in mm-hmm. the year and whatever and that's and that's been helpful and fine and um i can be honest with the people that are in my life like mm-hmm. doctors and sponsors and my friends and whatever um, but i don't really talk about it a lot mm-hmm. all over the place right but anyway well it's really nobody's business what medicine anyone uses. no it's not yeah. right and but i think it's nice of you to i do appreciate you talking about it because i know Hundred percent. I work with people who do it all the time, and so, and that's part of what helps them. And so, mm-hmm. I am all about what helps. So I'm really grateful you did, Chip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it hasn't come back. Yeah. Which is really interesting to me because, at the year seven. Yeah, in year seven, everything that I had built up—the relationship, mm-hmm. the house, the money, the security—all these things might health, I lost it Hmm. because I've learned since then that when I don't treat my alcoholism first in a very specific type of way, for me, 
not treating my alcoholism in certain ways makes all the other things less effective. Mm -hmm. So I never had the desire to drink alcohol. I never had the desire to like start using. I never was like going into psychedelic trips constantly. Like I yeah. was like I, I had no desire to abuse drugs, and I also mm -hmm. had no desire to kill myself. But I was so angry and I was so afraid, and I was just consumed by fear and rage and anger, and. I started to be this person that I didn't recognize all over again. Mm. And I didn't put it together. And I started to do things where I'm like, wait, I thought I did that when I was drunk, but mm. I'm doing it sober. What, what, what does this mean? You mm. know, like, why am I yelling and slamming the door? Why am I so angry? Why am I so controlling? Why am I so obsessed with time? Why am I so afraid? Mm. These are all things I thought happened when I was drunk. Like, oh, I'm an angry drunk. Mm -hmm. No, Elijah, you're an angry person. The alcohol can bring out really quickly, mm -hmm. but so can being dry. Yeah. And for me, seeing how I got some relief and I got some distance from the suicidality, mm -hmm. suicidality and I think that there was some ego that kicked in. Mm -hmm. I got this, and I got connected to ceremony, and I... Well, this is the next, this is leveling mm -hmm. up. This is the next spiritual thing I need, right? Mm -hmm. And things started to go to the side and my fear, just anger, fear, like mm -hmm. it was consuming me. It was ruining my life. It was ruining everybody that was in relationship with me. And I struggled with agoraphobia. And so when COVID happened or started, it's really easy to justify agoraphobia mm -hmm. for you and everyone around you mm -hmm. because we have to be in a small little bubble. Mm -hmm. And as things started to open up and the people in my life wanted to open up their world and my agoraphobia said, hey, wait, like, mm -hmm. and untreated alcohol and all these whatever you want symptoms, mm -hmm. um, it, it just, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. And there's a lot of hurt and pain and wreckage from that part of my recent life that I look at and I still have a lot of grief. I still have a lot of heartache. Mm -hmm. I fully believe that the promises that were given to me when I got sober, um, these old timers telling me and recovery literature and all this stuff promising, like you won't regret the past or wish mm -hmm. to shut the door on it. You will be able to look the world in the eye. You mm -hmm. will be able to be at peace alone, like be alone at perfect peace. Like, they promised me that. And I knew enough, and I had enough success in the rooms mm -hmm. for myself and with others, even being suicidal, mm -hmm. that I knew when I lost all the things I worked for, all the external things to show that I was in recovery, when all those went away um, because of my anger and fear, mm -hmm. really the anger is just me afraid. And I abandon myself, I get angry. And mm -hmm. Anger tells me something's wrong. And I get angry when I abandon myself and I don't have boundaries. And mm -hmm. it tells me like, hey, Elijah, you're crossing your boundaries. Hey, Elijah, you're mm -hmm. crossing, you, you have no boundaries. Why are you getting so pissed off? Well, if you, and so for me now, I can see, oh, if I'm that angry, it's because I have crossed the boundary mm -hmm. long before this person ever mm -hmm. really did anything worth like yeah. yelling about. Not that people deserve to be yelled about, but you know what I mean, right? No, so, exactly. 
yeah, I just, uh, um, I went through, um, I, I lost everything around in year seven and year, coming into year eight and the first half of year eight was a lot of getting some relief, starting to come back to treating my alcoholism with 12 steps and ceremony and, and therapy and like kind of bringing pieces back together. And I would get some relief and then I get a little complacent. And then I get some relief and I get a little complacent. And so I was getting relief, but the, the fires were smaller and less mm -hmm. long term, but they were still happening. Yeah. And then I got distracted and filled up on other people all over again. Mm -hmm. And they, they've taught me, I've been taught that no human power can relieve my alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And but we'll still try for it. Oh, the people I try and make God, man. Like, they're terrible at it. They're so bad at being God. They and could I get, never succeed either. No, and I, I feel so. I feel sorry for them mm -hmm. now. Like I feel so much like mm -hmm. I just pray for their healing because, man, the, I wanted them so badly to be God and they were so bad at it, and I was so not okay mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. And we can say it like as fellow people in recovery and we mm -hmm. can kind of like relate laugh about in that identification kind of well, we're not laughing because it's funny though no yeah. it's, oh my <laughs> goodness like oh i pray for i pray for those people that yeah. they can they Me too. can have healing because no one deserves that you know mm -mm. and yeah so i end of last year and the last seven eight months the final things of my life that I thought were important mm -hmm. were gone. Um, the the people, the places, the culture, the like all these things that I thought were like my um, my answer and that were forever family and all this stuff they were gone and really quickly. And I remember going to a ceremony and asking my um, like ancestors and. I, as a two, I'm two spirit. So as a two spirit person, I was praying like, Hey, like I want to take me to the two spirit people and the spaces and the, how to work with my community kind of thing. And less than a week later, these final important things were just ripped off, like removed. Mm -hmm. And I remember like looking at the sky being like, all right, that is not what I thought I was asking for. That's not what I had in mind. Mm -hmm. Just like, remove me from where I, but also I'm very impressed with how quickly you work because that was like five <laughs> days later, it was mm -hmm. like, babe, okay, here's the answer to your prayers, Elijah. Mm -hmm. And it launched me into the most painful dark night of the soul, fourth dimension existence. It's been beautiful and mm -hmm. it's been the most defeating surrender I've experienced mm -hmm. in my life so far. Um, and that yeah. Surrender is powerful. It, it is. It is. And so when I talk about like first sobering up and I wasn't really surrendered to like the alcohol and I didn't really know it was a slow, it was like the spiritual experience, like the, um, through learning, you know, mm -hmm. like those kind of the more intellectual, um, spiritual experiences mm -hmm. 
Whereas this, this was like, I'm going to punch you into a fourth dimension. Like, <laughs> you want to go to space? Because here we go. Like, yeah. you're going to space. You're about to get booted into Seriously, space. Seriously, that's what I did. <laughs> and uh, over and over again, is like, if I drew you a timeline of th thing ended, thing replaced, thing yeah. ended, resource here, resource there, gift here, thing removed. Like, if I gave you a timeline mm -hmm. and wrote it all out, it was like days apart. Like I, mm -hmm. my head was spinning, it was happening so fast. And also my body was having relief from some of these pains that I had been struggling with and um, physical illnesses I had been struggling with for the last few years as well. Cause that was another thing I lost was my physical health. Mm -hmm. Even though I wasn't using substances, my physical health started to go in a way that I had never had before. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I, I Eventually, I just threw my hands up and, all right, like, I, there's nowhere left for me to go. Like, the, the only place they can't kick me out is 12-step rooms, and, like, no one there has to like me. They just have to let me be there to mm -hmm. get well. There's enough people there that do love me. They're happy mm -hmm. to hear from me and see me. And I was going to meetings and, like, kind of orbiting on the outsides of mm -hmm. the recovery worlds. But this was different. It was like, all right, the only thing, I go to a meeting every day and go back to what worked in the beginning. Mm -hmm. What worked when you were going to kill yourself? What worked when you started this process? Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And I had to get stupid. Like, let me tell you, getting a master's degree in clinical social work made me really freaking really smart that it made me stupid. Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden I knew something. All of a sudden I had the answers. And when I think I know something, I get dangerous. Mm. I get I, I mess up things for a lot of people. And that's not to say I'm stupid. It's like no. I am gifted and I'm intelligent. I'm smart and I have a lot of knowledge. I have mm. a lot of gifts. And if I want to use those in a good way, I have to stay humble. Thinking mm. I know something about any of that shit is not me. Mm -hmm. It's a very dangerous place for me to live. So I think it's dangerous for anyone in recovery to live. But I totally re yeah. agree with that. The more I know, the less I know. And when I oh, remember yeah. that and then I get comfortable in not knowing, life blows my mind over and mm -hmm. over and over again. And the last seven, eight months have been life blowing my mind over and over again. And it has been the slowest, most simple, least amount of people. Like I, I very extroverted, always around people, hated mm -hmm. being alone, Was had so many friends and so many places. And and I'm very grateful for all of those connections mm -hmm. and like those people that have been in and out of my life over the years. But this last bit, like the only people left were my family and they had actually been out of my life mm -hmm. for the last few years. And so it was, everyone left, my family and a few other people that had not been around for a while, all of a sudden just appeared. And the mm -hmm. healing was able to take place. And I was able to make an amends to my mom for the first time in my entire sobriety. And it launched me again into the mm -hmm. fourth dimension. Like, you told me six months before that, you're going to make, three months before that, you're going to make amends to your mom. It's going to change your entire life. It's going to change your mm -hmm. entire recovery. I've been like, no, thank you. Like, I'll, no, mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. And then when I was able to do it by a series of events and she, and, she had been coming back into my life and we had been working on our relationship and the that experience allowed me two days later to take that like next huge step into um, 
I actually, I called somebody in the program and I, I said, I, I, I think I have a secret. Like, I think I have something. I've missed it. Mm. Um, I, I need to tell the truth. I need to, I, there's something missing. I've missed it on all. And they, if you do 12-step programs and you do your step five and they say, don't leave anything out when you're sharing it with your, whoever you're doing it with. And it just, it hit me in February as I was now living on my own for the first time in a long time and just alone, like just mm -hmm. be my cat. And I went and ate dinner at my mom's and I went to a meeting and I went home and I cried. Like that was mm -hmm. my February, right? So I made amends to my mom at the end of February. Very end of February, I got to sit down with another alcoholic and just tell the truth. And let me tell you, they, they say like, oh, I'm Elijah, I'm an alcoholic, and people, they get relief the first time they say that. Mm -hmm. That didn't really happen to me. But when I called this person and I was like, I'm a liar, mm -hmm. and the freedom and the, the weight lifted off of me and that phrase, that's, like, that's the equivalent. I mm -hmm. can see it. Like, there, I... I took a deep breath because being a liar is like the worst thing in my mm -hmm. mind. Like you could do all these like violent criminal things, but like, don't be a liar. Like mm -hmm. it might, like it was a weird. It's interesting how we prioritize those yes, things. Yes. You know, yeah. but then to actually go out and call somebody and just, I'm a liar. And if you, the most freeing thing, mm -hmm. and I've shared it with people now, like since then multiple times and shared this story mm -hmm. with people. And I, say it quite often like it's an interesting way to make friends when you broadcast that you're a liar and mm -hmm. people are like I, I, this is interesting it's but, interesting the fish i catch it's weird uh, but you know what else when you stop being a liar liars stop hanging out with you yeah and all of a sudden people that tell the truth start wanting to hang out with mm -hmm. you and that's what's been happening the more i tell the truth and the more i admit that I don't know how to tell the truth, all of a sudden I have the power to tell the truth. Mm. It's like the more I admit I'm an alcoholic and I accept that, the more I don't have to drink alcohol. Mm. The more I tell the truth, the more, or the more I say I can't tell the truth, the more I'm able to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And so this, that, that paradox, right? Mm. And so, yeah, I've been able to tell that to people. And every single person I've said that to has responded with, oh my God, me too. Oh my God, thank you for telling me that. Like, me too. And when I told that person that night, when I was on the phone with him, and I said, I'm a liar, I have a secret, I need to tell somebody, he said, okay, I'll see you after work tomorrow. And he came to my house, I got to tell the truth in a way I'd never told the truth before. And I woke up March 1st, and it was like, all right, you think you've got to space now, like, mm. let's go, Elijah. Like, the last little bit has been mind-blowing and beautiful, and I'm... Like, I'm just so grateful for all of the different pieces and ways that I have engaged with recovery so far. Because um, it wasn't just one thing or the mm -hmm. other. And it's really interesting to me because I think of all of the um, suicidality struggle I had. And then when it was removed, it was like, all right level up time because mm. you you're safe enough that you're you're going to be able to handle this level of crumble this level of gutting this mm. level of pain 
without being at risk of killing yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember in February, I pulled up, parked, was getting out of my vehicle, going into my house, and I remember just like hitting the steering wheel and suicide doesn't even work anymore. It was like that moment of, like, yes, that's a gift. And I tell mm -hmm. people, like, isn't that a good thing? I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, they even freaking ruined suicide for mm -hmm. me, guys. Like, <laughs> I can't even use that as an out anymore. And that was also a key moment of, oh, my suicidality is just one more way of me coping Avoiding. with being sober. Because mm -hmm. I don't do sober very well on my own. Uh, so that was like a really interesting thing of like, if suicidality is just one more drug of mine yeah. and I can let it go by telling the truth and like yeah it was just it's been a really interesting last year and last seven eight months and sounds like it um and I get to go to meetings and be in love with 12-step programs all over again mm -hmm. and I can go to different fellowships and just be blown away and mm -hmm find real like relating to them i've been listening i listen to 12 steps and recovery podcasts mm -hmm. all the time um i started in december because i i i could not shut my head off mm -hmm. and i remember i had a friend when she was eight years sober was really struggling and she's like i just listen to podcasts all the time i mm -hmm. listen to youtube speakers because i can't shut my head off yeah. and she had this mm -hmm. emotional surrender and so now i'm here and i'm like oh my gosh Mm -hmm. turn the podcast on and these old guys and these old these old women like just talking some of the recordings from the 80s and the mm -hmm. 70s the 90s just saying the same thing no matter what year it was mm -hmm. and it was so beautiful and I really I'm really grateful for all of the um, the like the BIPOC women and mm -hmm. and just speakers in general uh, I'm really grateful for the LGBTQ, uh, the trans and the queer speakers that identified mm -hmm. those parts in their shares because that also helped open my mind back up to mm -hmm. coming back to more in-depth to 12-step rooms because I used that excuse of, well, I'm a two-spirited indigenous queer, I'm trans, like none of these people mm -hmm. understand me. Mm -hmm. I can make myself different, right? And so to start even identifying that in recovery worlds of like yeah. yes i'm elijah yes i'm two spirit yes i'm trans yes i'm cree yes i'm mm -hmm. i'm all these different things and yes i'm an alcoholic and i you hear people say like well primary purpose we're here to be an alcoholic yes but i need these things mm -hmm. acknowledged so that they don't make me different and so listening to all these speakers who had these differences mm -hmm. And hearing how they coped with those differences, mm -hmm. and it, it, they saved my life. Like, mm -hmm. particularly sure. these like these black queer women speaking about being in twelve step rooms in the eighties and nineties. I was like, all right, Elijah, you have no excuse. I, like, yeah, these I just women, got that running through me too. <laughs> these women are <laughs> they are beautiful, beautiful people. So mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for them, and. Um, and I can't even imagine how hard it would have been for them. No, and, and they say it with such humor and such grace, and, mm -hmm. and they acknowledge the pain and the suffering, but also, like, the gifts that come from that. Yeah. And I remember the first time somebody identified as being trans in a recovery podcast, and it blew my mind. I was mm -hmm. like, I finally heard my story. And, I, and they said, 
don't like stay around till you hear your story. And I was mm -hmm. like, all right, well, it took nine years to hear my story, but I did. Takes what it takes. I, and I'm so grateful for that because now I've heard my story. I want to stay so mm -hmm. that somebody else can hear their story. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it just keeps going. It's magic. All of it's magic. It's so beautiful. Um, it is pretty beautiful. Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm grateful and just I feel like one of the lucky ones that I have mm -hmm. to live in recovery, which feels so cliche and. I hope, I, 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 it feels like it, but it's true. Now, now yeah. it does. At yeah. 20 years old, 21, my 21st birthday, sitting in a in a room full of people telling me I was the lucky one. I was not impressed. I'd have thrown something at you. Sitting in a room at my 30th birthday, being yeah. like, I am one of the lucky ones. Yeah. And being alone. Mm -hmm. I love being alone. I love being at home alone, just me and my cat. I love being camping, driving by myself mm -hmm. with my, me and my cat go camping in my little camper What's van. What's your cat's name? Prince. I love it. And he's, he's an adventure cat. He's training to be an adventure cat. What he's kind of cat? He's doing very well. He's just some mixed, yeah. um, short haired. Okay. He's white and black and gray. Ah, cool. Yeah. He's very, good sport about it all so right on. we have a nice system and i get to like the fact that i went camping by myself the other week and i opted for that and mm -hmm. i was like oh i don't think i can camp with other people anymore mm -hmm. like i've got a system <laughs> here which just says something if anybody that camped with me like it yeah. was friends with me before they'd be like who the hell is this uh, but yeah so the gifts come and i can show up and be present with people and i can also not and just be present with mm -hmm. myself and respect that I'm healing. And as far as like the health stuff and getting things back, like some mm -hmm. of the things came back quickly and some of like my health, it doesn't come back quickly. And being able to work full time as mm -hmm. much as I want doesn't come back quickly. Yeah. And I think that's probably on purpose because mm -hmm. I like to just go, go, go and get distracted. Right. But my, my health and the things that I that I deal with, it doesn't let me do that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just blown away. This world is this world is amazing, and uh, living blows my mind. So yeah, what did it, what a mind fuck, eh? Yes, yeah, seriously. <laughs> All I gotta do is show up, and my mind gets to be blown every yeah, day. It's just true. show up, Elijah. Yeah. See what happens. Oh, it's so cool. That is so cool. That's how I feel about the podcast. Like, yeah. my mind's blown every time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's blown again. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you, Elijah. It, um, this has been such a gift for us, for Darcy and I, and I hope it is for the people who come on and stuff, too, and, of course, for the listeners, but I know for Darcy and I, we talk about it all the time. Like, this is a gift for us. Yeah. Like, we get to learn so much about people that we would never have gotten to know, um, and I'm so grateful for that. Because I've been in the program a long time, and I, I'm just now starting to get to know some people that I've known for a while, right? right? Like, and when I sat down with some of my friends, I know after they left, I look at Darcy and be like, "Dude, I had no fucking idea." <laughs> like, yeah. it's amazing when, in this, this just this tiny little environment we're in right now, where so much can be shared, right? And I, I too started listening to podcasts a few years ago, just after I met Darcy, actually. And then I started listening more to them and realized just what a value they are 
They can be, right, mm -hmm. depending on what they are for sure and what people's interests are. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you.